OSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We are currently running winter lunchtime on-site sessions discussing the superficial and ortho-voltage treatment portfolio that we distribute for WOMED, owned by Baybig. This comprehensive KV unit portfolio ranges from energies of 50 to 300 KV with excellent patient and staff safety features and we offer an incredible service and support package for your engineering team to ensure a smooth and efficient service for your patients. Please do get in touch if you require further information. And finally, as always, do not hesitate to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name is Laura and I work at Convensys as a partnerships manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We will open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensis.co.uk. and welcome to RadChat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. So welcome to podcast number 76. My name's Jay McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Norman Joelka Anderson. Hi everyone. A big thank you to our last guest, Dr Lucy Gossage, who talked about her role as an oncologist, 5k your way and moving against cancer. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're really pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Jane Hall. She'll be discussing her role setting up a pelvic late effects service and late effects patients may experience. So hi Jane, welcome. Hi, thank you. So Jane, for anyone who doesn't know you, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what your current role is? Yep, so um, thank you very much for having me on this evening. Um, My name's Jane Hall. I'm currently seconded um, as an advanced practitioner for late effects. Um, So I'm developing a new service, um, starting with a pelvic late effects service. But my background is as a therapeutic radiographer for over 30 years now. So I've had a varied career working clinically for many of those years. I've worked in research. Um, I've worked as a review radiographer for the last 20 years. That's reviewing people on treatment. And my last role before this um, position was as Macmillan specialist radiographer. So I looked after people and supported people who were likely to have more severe acute side effects. Um, So recognising that treatments are improving every day and people are going on to live for longer um, either with their cancer or potentially with late effects from their treatments I was very keen to be involved in developing this new support service. So obviously you have treatment radiographers Jane what's different between the review radiographer and the treatment radiographer? Okay so review radiographers are treatment radiographers who have basically done a little bit extra training so that they can review people on treatment. Um, In the department I work in, the review radiographers have access to some patient group directives 
where they can give out some medications. Um, and while I was actually in the Macmillan role, I gained my independent prescribing. And there is now another review radiographer who is also an independent prescriber. So as well as being able to give out some general medications, there are a few of us who can prescribe, which is a lot better for people on treatment. It means they have much better access to medications. And during COVID, the dreaded COVID, I just got my independent prescribing and it was an absolute lifesaver because obviously a lot of the consultants had to work from home. So, um, so yeah, independent prescribing was fantastic for our patients. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what independent prescribing is, can you talk us through kind of what that actually entails and what it means? Um, yes. So it's, it's a pretty intense course for anyone who's done independent prescribing. Um, basically, you do a lot of um, studying about the pharmacology and how medicines work. At the moment, I would say the independent prescribing courses generally are very geared towards um, nurse practitioners in general, practitioners' surgeries. So um, they're focused a lot on medications for diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Um, we had to really push to focus on pain medication and antiemetics, which you know we were going to be using regularly in the department. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. You have to do um, a lot of case studies. Um, obviously, um, it's very different to the training I'd done before, in that we were doing these um, observed examinations. Um, but I learned so much. It was fantastic. It was a multi-professional group that I did my independent prescribing with. So we had paramedics, we had pharmacists, we had nurses, we had physios. I was the first radiographer to go through, which so I felt like I was sort of flying the flag, <laughs> but I've got to pass this. <laughs> so, um, but I did, thankfully. And um, yeah, it was, it, I learned a lot, but, uh, but a lot of work. And whenever anyone says, oh, I'm doing my independent prescribing, there's that face that accompanies it. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's... Yeah, for anyone who can't see Jane, she looked in pain and grimacing Just, uh, yes it, it was afterwards everyone in the department said oh you've looked you've looked so tired and so stressed afterwards but yes well it's quite it's quite intense but uh, but it's worth it definitely great it. and i start mine in a couple of weeks oh do you i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but um yeah you'll know that i'll know the look when i see you that's why I was laughing when you were talking because I was thinking, "Oh my God, you're describing the water, and Numan's about to enter yeah. into it's, it." It'll be, it will be worth it, but it's, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough. One. I think exactly as you said, though, it shows what we can do as therapeutic radiographers. So, absolutely, obviously, working at an advanced practice level, which is kind of what you're doing. Um, you know, people do say in literature that it compares to being almost at like a junior doctor grade or as an advanced nursing kind of grade. So it's good for us. Um, yeah, with, with the Macmillan role, did you get any other specialist training? Um, we did do some um, very general communication counselling skills, but I would uh, I wouldn't say I was a counsellor, but it's it's more the active listening. Um, and obviously, Macmillan are fantastic for being able to access different courses and training, um, but no, nothing specific. It was again. That was a new role that I was the first in posts, and it it really snowballed once that 
because I think once you get those posts in the department so I mean the late effect service is is really taking a pace now but when the Macmillan post first came into the department there wasn't really we were they weren't really sure where it was going to fit but as soon as you start seeing people then everyone starts oh well maybe you can see them and maybe you can see them and it's yeah you have to be really careful that it, you're not overwhelmed but um and Macmillan are brilliant yes. aren't they at supporting financially the role development that <clears throat> can exist within some departments how did you get that role Jane was it was it something that the department manager went to Macmillan with or was that something centrally that occurred within the trust um it was I mean I I drove that um we knew we knew we needed um a support role and I'd been saying for years that we need this role we need this role and um we had a very supportive Macmillan manager who when I approached her said yes that sounds great write write it down which if you've seen the Macmillan um, documentation that's an arduous task um, but we did write it down and they absolutely said yes we'll 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 fund that so they actually funded it for three years um, but obviously you have to have the trust agreement that they will pick that role up um, which they did and um, so now, I, I mean, I was in the post for five years and the radiographer who is now in that post um, has been in that post another year now. So um, it'll always be Macmillan badged, but it's funded by the trust. So, um, I mean, we, we, we could really do with potentially another Macmillan radiographer now. It's it, that's always the case, isn't it? But um, but yeah. And we managed to get a little office that's on the treatment corridor. So she's right where she needs to be. Um, now you're just showing off, it Jane. Was, it was a changing <laughs> cubicle, but they managed to squeeze a desk in it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that, that sums up the NHS, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's cosy. We call it compact and bijou in there. But, you know, there's a desk and, and she's right in the middle of the action. So... Uh, how how did you capture like data to measure the impact of the role? So obviously trying to get trust approval to follow something on, especially at the moment, is quite tough. I'm just thinking if there's anybody else who might be going down this route. Absolutely. Well, when I was when I was in that role, um, we also started something uh, which feeds into prehabilitation. Really, we were doing something called the Enhanced Recovery Program, which again, unfortunately, the dreaded COVID. Um, caused the death of because we couldn't get people together in a room um, but the Macmillan role was instrumental working alongside um, a Macmillan occupational therapist um, and we used to lead that and because of that joint working and the feedback from patients attending those sessions that really drove the role of the Macmillan radiographer forward and they were very supportive because they could see the benefit um, to people and potentially, as always, a cost saving because we were informing a group of people um, so that they didn't need as much time on the day one chat, for example, because they'd already been to the session, they were ready um, and prepared. And because they'd been to the session, they were self-managing um, and it, it was all seen as, as supporting that. Then when the Macmillan role developed a bit further and we were supporting people who'd previously 
potentially have to come in as inpatients. Again, it's that cost saving. So that's that's where you need to really show that your role is making a difference. Unfortunately, it's all about that cost saving element, which actually for the late effect service is one of my challenges because it's very difficult unless you can show that people aren't going to see their GP or aren't attending at A&E there isn't really a way to show that your service is is making a cost saving but um, yeah I'm I'm doing my best to show that um, as I was saying before some of these people are attending and it's only a year after their treatment but other people it's five or six years so where have they been going for those years so that's what I'm trying to show that if if they trust support the late effect service then they'll be able to come and be seen in a one-stop shop have relevant referrals not have to you know go as emergencies will be more proactive in dealing with the issues then and there but it, but that's always the challenge and I find it very frustrating because we all know it makes sense. It's in the radiotherapy service spec, but you've still got to prove it. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose, Jane, that moves on quite nicely to how did you set up the late effect service? <laughs> um, yes. Well, I was very fortunate in that there are already some fantastic late effect services out there and I want to take this opportunity to say I had amazing help and support from Emma Hallam um, who continues to support me really. Um, I think the main, the main thing is getting a good stakeholder slash steering group together with people who are going to help you drive the service forward. I went on lots of visits when I was first setting up the service. So the first six months involved a lot of going around the hospital to see what was already available, um, where these people were already going and how I could support those services. So I spent um, time with the lymphedema nurses. Um, I went and spent time at the erectile dysfunction clinic. Um, I spent time with oh, some of the clinical nurse specialists trying to get a feeling for where these people were going. And then as soon as you say that you want to develop a service that's going to support them, then they're on board. So um, they all became part of the stakeholder group and actually have been fantastic. I've discovered people who I didn't even know exist. The pelvic health physiotherapist has been an absolute diamond. She's brilliant. And I didn't realise there's five of them in our trust it's just you don't know until you start looking so that's been amazing um also communications i would really advise anyone you need a fantastic communication plan which again you're going to have to do yourself but you need to keep the focus on the late effects because yes you can say you're doing the service everyone's yay that's great initially a couple of months later they've forgotten that you're doing that so you've got to keep hammering it home um, so when the service actually started, our communications team did a brilliant job. It was everywhere. But that's three months ago now. So I've contacted them again and said we need something every three months. So I'm back in our sort of communications letter this month with the results of the first patients that I've seen. So it's just keeping that momentum going. 
The other huge issue is um, the referral pathway. How are you going to get these people? Um, making the link between the service and GPs is a massive challenge. So um, again, I went via the um, integrated care board in in my region um, and they put me in contact with the GP who they they work through. And there's also um, a medical council for all the GPs in this region. And that's how they have their education sessions. And I managed to get in on one of their red whale days, which is a um, an education session for GPs. So we managed to get the late effect service in on that, which was brilliant. Um, so it's it's just about getting that awareness known. Um, the other thing is the practicalities. Where are you going to hold these late effects clinics? At the minute, because of um, space, I'm actually in the oncology department. And I'm not sure that's the right place for it, but at the minute it's it's a start. Um, I, th I think I'd ideally I think I'd quite like to be in outpatients or even not in the hospital, so that it's it's something different. Because I know a lot of people when they've had treatment potentially can struggle coming back to the department. So I'd I'd like to you know factor that in. But again, you have to start somewhere. Um, how to measure the effectiveness of the service is another massive bugbear. So at the moment, I know that I'm paper heavy and I jokingly say to people when they come in, I'm really sorry about war and peace that you've just had to fill in. But I'm using three things. So I'm using um, the Lensoma score to try and get symptoms. I'm using the holistic needs assessment to see what's important and I'm using the patient activation measure to try and gauge how motivated they are to self-manage or where they are with their sort of health issues. So it's it's a lot of paper. But um, but yeah, so far they've all laughed about it and filled it in. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you have to keep. Jane, can I just ask really quickly before just thinking for our listeners um, and it's a question that I always ask as well is how do you determine what's a late effect and what's something different or something new right so um, again that's that's part of setting up the service it's deciding when people can refer in so generally it's anything that is persisting after treatment more than three months after treatment but in a lot of the guidance, it talks about six months post-treatment. So as other services already exist and, you know, you, you want to be in line with those, um, what we've said is that if it's six months or more post-radiotherapy, then that's that can be referred in as a late effect. And as I said before, I've had some people who are, six months or up to a year after their treatment I've had quite quite a number but I've also had people who are 60 months post their treatment referring in in those first few months so you know I, I know that I'm only seeing the tip of of the iceberg just in in my region. I suppose as well when you're relying on therapeutic radiographers during the actual treatment to say this is a late effect service that exists consider that in the future 
I suppose it will take a few years at least, won't it, for patients to maybe develop late effects and then go, oh, someone told me about Jane when I was having treatment. I know who and where to go to. Whereas obviously patients previously may not have that in the forefront of their mind or have those referral pathways set up um, that they can access. Absolutely. Well, fortunately, thinking about that, um, we have made the late effect service, people are able to self-refer because a couple of people who have come through um, haven't had a great experience because they've mentioned to GPs or um, other teams that they've seen uh, that they'd like to be referred to the late effect service. And they've said, oh, yeah, we'll we'll do that and haven't. And time's gone on. And so they've realised they can self-refer and done it themselves. But um, I think that's any new service. It's getting it embedded that it exists, isn't it? But um, posters have gone so countywide. Um, as I say, I'm on this medical council. I'm on their email. We've done the Red Whale Day. It's yeah, it's unfortunately it's just that's time getting it sort of embedded. How did you find the engagement with the GPs? Um. There's one, there's one particular GP that I'm working with, and she's amazing. She really is. I've had lots of meetings with her. She comes any stakeholder meeting she can make. She's always there, um, and I have had some contact with the the head of the the medical council, um, and again, very keen. But I haven't had any referrals from GPs. It's all come via the the patients themselves self-referring so I think that speaks volumes Um, but again unfortunately um, GPs are very under pressure they have to be experts in everything they've got to remember so many things already I think it's going to take time for them to sort of remember that this service exists Um, we are on the hospital website so if they are looking under oncology then the late effect service comes up and hopefully by the end of this month there will be an e-referral route into referring as well so that hopefully if we can just make everything easy that's the key really you've got to make everything easy so it only takes 20 seconds I think that's the the aim then hopefully um we'll get some more buy-in what is it they say jane less than three clicks or something yeah (laughs) people just stay engaged these days (laughs) absolutely and i am so wordy and i've been told so many times no it's too long it's too long it's too long okay cutting it down but um yes i've got down to the 20 seconds so hopefully no that sounds good i think it's hard to always put lots of information in but make sure it's concise because you have to make sure that it's covering every... I mean, we, we can treat anything in the body, can't we? So, Absolutely, um, absolutely, yes. You talked about the stakeholders, Jane. How how have you found kind of maybe at the corporate level um, with the medical directors trying to get their support? So I presume for something like this to really be pushed, you need sort of some of their backing as well. Absolutely. I think that's one of the big, the big challenges is there's a whole different language to the business side of the NHS. And as a clinical radiographer, I had no idea of of all of that. Um, now I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I have a lot better idea. So um, when I first started the stakeholder group, 
I was um, advised you need an executive sponsor. Wasn't sure what that was, but now I realise it's part of the medical directorate teams. You need someone right at the top who's going to remove barriers for you. Um, and that's exactly what you need. So, um, so yes, it, it wasn't difficult. Actually, when you when you contact them directly and ask, they were, yeah, straight away, yes, that's absolutely fine. Then when the service launched, they were part of the, that communications. So there was a quote from me, a quote from my executive sponsor, and, um, and he's very happy to, you know, do that public um, public barrier removal. Um, and when things hopefully get down to needing the business case, because my um, role is funded until November this year, but then it will need obviously ed evidencing and, and everything else, then I'm hopeful that my executive sponsor will also be an advocate for the service. What challenges or opportunities do you think have, have presented themselves as you went through setting up the service? Um, challenges are um, challenges are always getting the right people to your stakeholder meeting, recognising that everybody's busy um, and also helping people to see it as a priority. I was quite frustrated and, you know, down downhearted really when you get minimal people attending and you've done a lot of preparation for something but you just have to turn it around so I thought well if I can't get everybody in the same room at the same time what I will do is I'll take the people who have come into that room and we'll have the meeting um, but then I will make one-to-one -one meetings with those other people so yes it takes longer and trying to pin people down is more tricky but you just have to keep going. The other thing is I've definitely learnt to go with the people who are enthusiastic from the beginning and to, to take them along with you. Try not to be downhearted about everybody who's not coming with you initially. Focus on the people who are coming with you. And, and eventually, with the successes, if you champion your successes, the other people will come along. But it's it's not e it's easy to say, it's not easy to do. But if you focus on the people who are coming with you, it's um it's a lot more positive experience. It's like leadership analogy, isn't it, Jane? When you say it like that, mm -hmm. it's kind of who yes. are the the people that you're fo the the following the leader. It is investing in those initial few to then bring on board everyone else. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I think also it's um, going back to that language of recognising who you're talking to. So for some people, you will have to be short and sharp. This is what they want. That's all you that's all you can have. The the whole elevator pitch has become really focused in my mind of I need to get this across. So I'm just going to short and sharp, which is really alien to me. But short and sharp, this is what I need. But then for other people, they need, you know, the more descriptive, they need to know how you're going to do it, why you're doing it. And it's getting the measure. And that's been a huge learning curve. But, but it's a lot easier now to pick right here. I need to be this. 
but I can be a bit more like me in this setting. But um, yeah, it's it is it's it's a challenge, but worth it. You just have to keep going. And were there any opportunities that you came across that you'd never considered previously to when you started setting up the service? Um, opportunities for what for for me for you for the patients for the service itself. Absolutely. Um, I I've learned so much about how to manage sort of late effects, but also I think. Um, I've definitely learned there's that circle. So the things that people are describing to me as a late effect, I've thought, right, we need to be thinking about that earlier on in the pathway. So I am a massive advocate now of pelvic floor exercises. I had no idea how important they are for everything. So because this is a pelvic late effect service, obviously pelvic floor is imperative for bladder control also imperative for bowel control and sexual function so they're the three main physical changes that can happen after treatment and if we could get people doing their pelvic floor at the beginning of treatment and continue all the way through I just I can't help but wonder if that would be that would be massive positive for people so I'm feeding that back in to my department we are going to start that um, and also thinking about better care for the patients is probiotics for pelvic patients. They've, they've, there is some work for gynecological patients. But I just wonder if we can minimise things during treatment. Is it going to make it better, make it better managed after treatment? So it's that circle, isn't it? So there is a prehabilitation um service again run by occupational therapy which we link into and it's it's that team feeding back in so um yeah that's that's been really interesting I want to know how many listeners when you say pelvic floor automatically squeeze their pelvic floor because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you just need random student therapeutic radiographers going into the waiting room shouting pelvic floor to everyone pelvic floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely it was so funny because I, I was um I was describing this week to someone about their pelvic floor and I said um you know but when it, whenever anyone says about it you automatically do it and then he and his wife you could see on their faces like you're doing now <laughs> it's just really funny <laughs> but um I think yeah that's definitely I would I would be um, saying that's a real opportunity for change, positive change. The other thing is, um, obviously, I've been a Macmillan radiographer for quite a few years. So I haven't been treating on a treatment machine for quite some years. So you become less practised at, at doing certain things. And, you know, but going back into the late effects service as me, uh, developing the late effect service has meant I've gone back into planning um, and I've been looking at plans so whenever I've been going to see someone I've been going back and looking at their planning images and this is where therapeutic radiographers are key to late effect services because helping someone to understand why this has happened is half of allowing them some sort of acceptance and I've been doing some psychological training and that acceptance is absolutely vital because the late effects are permanent changes. 
But what we need to do is help someone accept the changes and manage them better. And by explaining, yes, we've treated here, but in treating here, we've also had to treat here and here and explaining the dose distribution. That's been so vital. And I can see when people have looked at it, they they understand like, OK, yeah, no, it makes sense. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's what makes the the therapeutic radiographer in a late effect service just absolutely key. This is something that Joe and I always talk about is the treatment plan. I think many people aren't always confident to showcase it at the start of the pathway. How have you found, I don't know, showing it at the end of the pathway? Because that acceptance could come a lot earlier. That's what I'm hearing from you. It's something that Joe and I have been saying for a long time. I think, yeah, it's it's finding the right time, isn't it? Because I, I, I know that late effects are talked about at the consent process, but I don't think they're heard because at that point... People are so focused on wanting the treatment and, you know, wanting to get the cancer sorted. And also a list of late effects is meaningless, isn't it? If, you, if you're just reading something and it says um, vaginal stenosis, what, what does that actually mean? I think we need to do it differently. We need to say these are the late effects and then talk about what this could mean practically to your life. So, yes, we could cause vaginal stenosis. That may mean you will struggle with sexual well-being. It may be that you won't be able to have vaginal sex after treatment. That's the reality. I don't think we talk about things um, in a way that people can understand. No, but the role for looking at the plan and saying this is what it means because we're treating here, because we have to, it means that these tissues will be tighter. There will be some fibrosis. That will mean potentially this this and this i think that's you know but again it's it's time it's you know consultant time generally isn't it and but then there's a role again for therapeutic radiographers i have been involved in doing consent for people having breast cancer um we also consent now for um rectal and anal canal cancer as well maybe you know, we need to look at doing things differently. And we're we're the key professionals, I think, because we're there and we understand the treatment. I definitely think having a therapeutic radiographer within, you know, some people would disagree that it's called maybe prehabilitation, but actually in the in the grand scheme of the pathway it is a prehabilitation to radiotherapy and preparing those patients um, and I think mm-hmm. it is something different to that first day what we like to call first day chat within radiotherapy yeah it is much more extensive than 20 minutes or you know let's be honest at the moment because some departments are so busy you have a first day chat with a patient as you're going into the radiotherapy treatment room and it's not enough time to be able to really dedicate the conversations that that you're describing, Jane. And I think it is so important. We definitely see it through Rad Chat, through the social media that we get, where patients are contacting us, going, I'm not really sure, or I've got a late effect, but nobody told me. Well, we know it would have been discussed at some point as part of the consent. However, we also mm-hmm. appreciate that when they're going through that, you wouldn't, and I, I speak for myself as a patient, you know, pathways, I know when I go to surgery, I will happily go, yeah, 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 that's fine, and just sign it, because 
what other option do I have? Do I decide not to have surgery or do I go, yes, I'll take whatever risk it is because I'm going to feel better after having surgery. So I definitely think that it's, it's not really the time to necessarily discuss those late effects in detail, but exactly as you've said, Jane, it's the consequence of having a late effect that again, I don't necessarily think patients appreciate or, or healthcare professionals appreciate. You know, we've had patients on rad chat before who think about losing saliva as affecting eating and they don't necessarily think, well, actually that's also going to affect my sex life. Um, and it's almost highlighting some of the issues that we see that patients um, suffer from. And yeah. I suppose that's where peer support and things come in as well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, it's, um, there's, there's so much that could be done so much better. I think that's, that's the key. But I think also, again, the dreaded COVID, so many consents now are done via the telephone and you know I, I don't think you can gauge someone's understanding or give them enough time potentially on the phone but it's it's a change that I don't think is necessarily going to change back unfortunately. With the consent forms obviously the Royal College of Radiologists they brought mm-hmm. out their consent forms their national radiotherapy ones which has percentage of what might occur for late effects in your experience, have you found that that actually matches up? Um, well, I did do a very small audit as part of my preparation um, when I was getting things together for the late effects service. And I looked at a six month window um, of people that were treated for prostate cancer in 2017, looked back through all their follow ups to see um, their experience, really. Um, I was quite shocked that on the Royal College of Radiologists list they don't mention they don't mention fatigue as a late effect um, and I I feel in the group of people that I looked at their experience was a lot higher percentage than you know what was obviously that was a six-month window it's a very small uh, but there were there were a lot of people that were affected and there's there's no late effects psychosocial issues, but if you're struggling with bowel changes and bladder changes, I would argue that you probably are having psychosocial issues as um as a pretty large late effect affecting your quality of life. When I looked at the follow up letters for these people, um they were all asked about their bladder and bowel function, but in a lot of cases there were phrases like um you know, bowel changes insignificant or insignificant to who? I mean, if you go on holiday and you have loose bowels, you would say that's pretty significant. Yeah, that's significant, isn't it? Now, now, I mean, if you're getting up in the night to open your bowels, that's significant. It might be just once, which might be insignificant to a consultant, but that's a massive quality of life issue. So I was was quite upset by that. Um, Nobody asked at all there wasn't any any question about asking about fatigue you know how are you managing day to day you're able to do your normal activities are you focused can you do your hobbies none of that um and nothing about psychosocial how are you you know none of it and um sexual well-being 
some people were asked, but it was very hit and miss. Um, and it, it, the main focus was disease-free survival. That's, you know, that was the first thing. I had the pleasure of speaking to this gentleman, PSA, awesome, everything else, afterthought. And unfortunately, I do feel a lot of people maybe don't mention the late effects that they're dealing with because in some way they feel that they're being ungrateful because they've been cured of their cancer, but they're having these awful things and they don't like to complain because, well, you've cured my cancer and I've just got to deal with it. And I've also heard people say that that's basically what their GP has said to them. Well, you've been cured of your cancer, now you've got to go and get on with it. That's horrendous, isn't it? Like you say, if you can't go on holiday, I've seen a couple of people so far who used to go on coach holidays you know with their partners and now they can't because they'd be mortified that in a three-hour journey they'd have to go to the loo so many times it's yeah it's it's huge it has a massive quality of life impact I did feed it back I went to the... did they respond to that feedback well they they did say when I said about the insignificant insignificant to who they were like no no that's a bad choice of words <laughs> it's like okay so that was a win but um but yeah they said they didn't have time to ask about everything else so I, insider info I reached out to the Royal College of Radiologists last year about the skincare oh. side which always has the narrative says redness I mean, it took a while for them to really respond, but their review, they were adamant waiting till October to review their consent forms. And they've said it's not going to be more than four pages because clinicians and patients have said they won't be more than four pages. But obviously, I think when it comes to late effects, there's a lot of different things. Obviously, if you're using three different forms, uh, you know, proformers, Mm. they all tie in together, yes. But I mean, a consent form, four pages. I mean, I wouldn't mind if my consent form was 10 pages, but it had explanations of stuff because then I've got it. I, I don't know. I think yeah. I think they're due to come out maybe in a f- I'm going to say end of January. I think the new update because the LGBTQ plus community also reached out with some heavy statements around the lack of inclusivity for their terminology. So I think there are a lot of changes coming, but it'd be interesting to see what really happens. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Again, because I'm I'm not doing consent now. I'm sort of, but you, you do have to keep keep your hand in. But uh, yeah, no, that'd be interesting to see. I also think as well, when you look at some of the information leaflets that we give patients, they can easily be 12 little pages long. You know, some of those Macmillan books are like 30 pages. And, you know, and patients do have them. But again, should we be more radical? Should we be thinking about, okay, yes, we may have a paper version, but should we also have a digital version with some links to resources you know, could we think about it, throw everything out and think, okay, we're going into a new era. How can you get a consent form that almost ensures that patients know how to refer themselves to a specific clinic um, or know that if they develop X, Y or Z, they know where to go to as part of a package or resource. And that's then presented in a variety of ways. Um I don't know, Jane, do you think that we maybe need to overhaul the consent process as well as just maybe the consent terminology and what we talk about? Potentially, but again, it'll it'll always have to be um, various different formats, won't it? So, um, yeah, but I think 
I think you're right. I think it would be much better because information giving is always so personalised or should be personalised because some people want the minimal and some people want everything. So how do you do that? I think that's always been the challenge. Whereas if, if you did have something like that that you'd link to, then people can read what they want to read in this. Well, not in the same way, but similarly, I think we need to be a bit more proactive about late effects. Um, I'm really passionate about the support or the lack of support currently for um, gynecological patients and sexual well-being. So I was really interested that you had Dr. Lisa Ashmore on previously because um, I've been I've eaten up the gyne narratives. It's just brilliant. What I'm trying to do as part of the late effects is instigate a, a, a phone call for all the ladies or all gynecological patients at six months post treatment. Um, and what we would do is we would give a card out at the end of treatment, which has a link. It's got a QR code. I've gone all modern. It's got a QR code that goes to a website and it's got sexual well-being resources Um and then it's got information about the fact that I'll be phoning. It'll be six months after treatment. But to give them preparation to think about questions, if they want to come and see me face to face as part of the late effect service, if they want their partner there or not. Um, and just try and give them that space to be able to think about it. Because what we'd also like to do is have some sort of, not support group exactly, but some sort of group where... There's that peer support where ladies and gynecological patients can be together to talk about talk about sexual well-being. So, um, so that I'm just at the beginning of all of that because it's finding the right time to ask people because I've tried asking at the end of treatment and they don't want to talk about it then. So it's yeah, we're, I'm I'm working with a group of people with lived experiences. They're called the co-production group amazing um and i love the fact that i go with all these ideas and i think i've got it right <laughs> i give it to them and they completely tell me i'm wrong which is brill and i just oh okay fine <laughs> so we'll, we'll scrap that and then they give me lots of pointers but that's exactly what you need i think we have all these ideas and sometimes they are good ideas but we need to be listening to the people who've been through it to know that we've got it right and we're we're providing the right things so yeah, it's it's really important that we have that that patient voice all the time. And I, I've really realised that thinking back to your question about opportunities, that has been a huge opportunity because I've always I've always thought or like to think that I'm very patient focused. But actually, it's been a really steep learning curve that, no, I've got that completely wrong. And sometimes you need to hear that, don't you? You need to be pulled up short a bit and think, oh, yes, okay, that's that's where we need to be going. So, um, yeah, even after thirty plus years, I'm still getting it wrong. But I'm ready to I'm ready to <laughs> hold my hand up and go, no, well, let's do it. Let's do it that way then. And it is it is quite a formalised process, isn't it? Because it's definitely the first thing I always say to anyone setting up a service. It's really easy to have the amazing ideas, yeah. maybe already consulted on business cases, know where your finances from. And I've just said, oh, have you spoken to a patient? And they're like, 
Um, well, I've been I've been treating patients for many years. I kind of know what they need, and you're like, it's mm, not the same. Don't don't <laughs> fall foul of that kind of. I think I know what they need because actually sometimes they don't tell yeah. you, even if you're the practitioner that they see every single day. It's only sometimes on their reflection that they go, do you know what I really needed was this? And they can't always do that in the moment. So absolutely, it's always my first rule of setting up anything for patient-related activities or services. It's, have you asked what's wanted or needed? And it's definitely an objective, isn't it, now on lots of business cases where you're like, right, okay, how has the patient voice featured? Um, And co-production is amazing because... I know that when I've done it, they certainly highlight things that I've never even yeah, thought about. Absolutely, absolutely. No, really useful. In fact, it's made me think, you know, everything everything I do. But basically, you know, I'm always thinking, oh, I'll just run that past, I'll run that past. So, um, yeah, really good. And so supportive as well. When you do, when you take something and, and they, yes, that, that really makes you feel okay yeah no it gives you that impetus away let's keep going so jane i know that there might be lots of healthcare practitioners listening to this podcast going right i'm in a similar situation to jane i'm about to set up a service and i know from experience that lots of people come to me and go right joe give me a package that i can just roll out and I can complete X, Y, and Z, and then I can go off and set my service up. What hints and tips would you give to anyone who's thinking about setting up a service? Because it isn't necessarily the case, is it, that one size fits all? Definitely not. I think, um, yeah, I would say it's going to be different for everybody. There is no secret formula, but we've said a few things there, haven't we? Make sure that you're listening to the people who this service is going to be for. Um, Make sure that you're looking around for who's already there. So, I mean, I've had fantastic support from those different groups that I've visited. And um, and it's it's about that that team approach, isn't it? So the late effect service is an information and support service in essence. but I'm linking in to all of these other things that potentially can help people manage those conditions. Um, Make sure that you've got that business backing. So you do need an executive sponsor. You need someone who's going to remove the blockages um, and you need to have your sort of management level support in the department as well, um, because otherwise nothing's going to move forward. Um, it's just having that that support and champion your successes don't don't be afraid to really you know shout about when it goes right so um yeah that's in a nutshell but it's the preparation is key for the first six months it was a big challenge because i i wanted to see people but for the first six months i embedded myself into setting this up so you know, you've got to have your right literature support. You've got to know who you're referring to. You've got to have all of these people in the right place. You've got to have your clinics. You've got all the practical things. So, um, and also try and keep it. I I went for a pelvic late effect service because it's it's 
small. I couldn't, there's only me doing this at the moment. So I couldn't do a whole late effect service. I went for pelvic late effect service because there were guidelines already there. And since I've been in post, obviously the Pelvic Radiation Disease Association best practice pathway is out. So you've got it, it's there, it tells you what to do. So, you know, it's it's about using what's what's already there and try and keep it small until you've proved yourself. And then, you know, I'm, I'm already having um, invest, investigations, inquiries from the head and neck team because they know I'm there now from the breast team, um, from from other sort of tumour site teams because they want to refer their pe- patients in, well, that that's only going to push for a, for succession, for the late effects. It needs to be more than just me, but, um, but you've got to take it steady, which can be really challenging because you just want to get going, but the reality is you've got to take it, take it slow and use the people that are there the Society of Radiographers has a special interest group for late effects. It's brilliant. We had a, a training day um, and learned so much. And also you network. So then you've got you've got support around the country. So um, it all helps, all helps. You, you did some education going. as well, didn't you, Jane? <laughs> oh, yes, I did. <laughs> I can't believe you forgot that. How can I forget that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, it's a fabulous course at Sheffield Hallam <laughs> which was very useful and actually again networking so um, you know you meet lots of people who are trying to do what you're trying to do so um, and you can get ideas and what we don't want to be doing is keep reinventing the wheel we need to be networking um, to move things forward so yeah. great peer support network wasn't it <laughs> yes it was and still carries on you know, I've um, I met several of the people that I saw on the course at the special interest group. And it's like meeting, well, it is old friends, isn't it? You're, oh, you know, and catching up and what are you doing? And yes, it was also lovely that at the special interest group, there were two radiographers there who were um, students with me. And it was so lovely because they were sat either side of me and it was just radiotherapy is a really small family and you just everybody knows everybody else in some guise don't they and um yeah it was good to see how they've progressed and now they're doing late effects and it's yeah fantastic jane just before we wrap up if any patients are listening do you have any tips for them specifically about their late effects and what they should do if they think they have some or they're anticipating that they might have some I think if you're concerned about developing late effects, it's always worth speaking to your consultant. Obviously, um, some people do go on to return to, I hate the word normal, but relative normal after treatment. And not everyone's guaranteed to have late effects. But if you are struggling and you're more than six months past your treatment, it is worth um, speaking to your GP to see if there's any local late effects support. Um, and don't be afraid to come forward or feel in any way that you're being ungrateful um, because, you know, it's part of our duty of care because potentially it's the treatments that you've had to deal with the cancer that are now causing these issues. So there are services available and um, I would encourage anyone to come forward. Um, the good thing about late effect services is there's generally time to talk through 
everything that you've been dealing with um, and put things in place to help you manage them better. Oh, thank you so much, Jane. I'm sure anyone listening would have got lots from your top tips. So thank you. Um, so thank you all for listening to Round Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Jane McNamara and Namanjelka Anderson. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to the resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Our next guest to feature will be Joss Harding, who will be talking about her role as a dental hygienist and the importance of mouth care for people living with and beyond cancer. So thank you all for listening. Thank you.